Hey, babe. What's up? You know how you're like a California stereotype? I'm not a California stereotype. Are you serious? You grew up on the beach. I'm like next to the beach. You went surfing every single day. Not every day, most days. You have like incredibly strong opinions about burritos. Yeah, I'm a man of taste. Have you even heard yourself talk? I don't know what you're talking about you, right now. Can you just admit that you're a walking California stereotype? You know what? Like, I hear it now. <laughs> Hi, we're Leah and Jeremy. We're the accident-prone travelers behind Practical Wanderlust. And we're here to dish out travel tips, travel tricks, useful trivia, useless trivia, mildly entertaining anecdotes, and everything else you need to avoid making all of our terrible, 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 terrible mistakes. And we make a lot of mistakes. So today we are talking about one of my favorite trips to take uh, close to home for us. This was actually one of the first trips that we ever took together as a couple. That's not accurate. Yes, it is. What are you talking about? We no. Went, we went to like your hometown. I met your dad. Right. But we didn't take this highway. Oh, my God. We were your your hometown is on Highway One. Nope. It's literally like it runs through the center of town. Yeah. Just because we saw Highway One doesn't mean that we took Highway we One. We were on Highway. Okay. Okay, anyway, we're talking about Highway 1. <laughs> Which is one of my favorite road trips close to home. Um, it's very, I mean, it runs through San Francisco, so technically we could go there now, but it's like, that's not the part that's exciting. Yeah, so Highway 1 is this one of like the most beautiful highways in the entire world. I'm going to say it's the most beautiful highway in the entire world, and uh, anybody who wants to correct me on that can fight me. Yeah, looking at you, Florida Keys Highway fight us i don't know that one but apparently there's one in australia that actually looks a lot like highway one or road to hana get out of here with that trash road to hana is pretty great i mean banana bread but yeah they got us beat there we have oysters we do have oysters kind of different anyway the one goes all the way from san Clemente, which is down near like orange county it's southern california yeah. All the way up to a little town called Leggett, which is in Northern California. It's 656 miles long. Yeah. And you definitely, you can drive the whole thing, which is great, but you can also definitely just take out chunks. Um, and we're going to be talking about all of our favorite stops along Highway 1 today. Um, and it is something that, honestly, I've been tempted in quarantine to just hop in the car and drive. I have too, because it's like right there and it's gorgeous. And like, you don't have to stop. You can just look out the window of your car safely with a mask on. Yeah. Oftentimes you're like, end up just randomly on it and you're like oh hey we're on the one. Oh, okay now we're off okay. it's a very california experience most people don't just trip and fall over and end up on the most beautiful highway in the world we didn't all grow up on a town that the central like main street was highway one i can't help that i came from a really cute town we are going to talk about jeremy's hometown today morrow bay um we'll get to that we're also going to highlight a little bit of the history of you know, the one and the stops along the one. There is some fascinating history. And honestly, coming from somebody that grew up in the Midwest, I grew up in Kentucky. We did not talk about California history. It was like California history only came in when California became a state. And then it was sort of just like gold rush. And then it was like Hollywood. And that was it. We didn't get like comprehensive California history. But it turns out California history is fascinating. Yeah, we're not going to go super deep into it because it's actually like thousands of years of native history. But, but we are going to manage to shoehorn in something about the Donner Party. I'm just mark my words. Well, you already did. So we can just skip on yes. that. Yes. <laughs> Um, speaking of history, so Highway 1 is incredibly historic. It was originally built in the late 1920s, and it was part of what was known as the Roosevelt Highway. It was 1,400 miles long, and it basically traced the entire western margin of the United States, all the way from Mexico to Canada. And it almost didn't happen. A plucky, tenacious woman named May Ringe fought for it tooth and nail. Oh, she sounds sassy. Good for her, sticking it to the man. Well, she was mostly concerned about keeping the public off of her 17,000-acre ranch. Oh, okay. So she wasn't exactly a hero of the common folk then. But she did eventually allow uh, the highway to be built. And Highway 1 was designated an All-American Road in 1996. There's only 31 in the U.S. Yeah, the the criteria for being an All-American Road is really funny because it's like you need to have two like two of the optimal characteristics such as like diners no it's like so, oh. it's like weird like is there like a giant ball of yarn requirement <laughs> there might alien be. encounters there might be there is a we giant really human should drive route 66 there is a giant human nest on highway one yeah we're gonna talk about that yeah um highway one i always thought was funny growing up because it has a different 
like names. And yes, I'm just going to say in the beginning, I am going to refer to it as the one because I'm from California and we do introduce highways with the and then the number. We do not do that in Kentucky. We say you take 65 to 64 to the no, wait, damn it. I just did it. Ah. Oh my God. I've become a Californian. It happened, guys. Can We're just going to put in like a like some fanfare sound effects now. Thanks, Tyler. So some other nicknames for the one um, are the Pacific Coast Highway. Right. Also like the Redwood Highway. Nobody calls it that. Who well, there's like that? there's like little there's stretches. Like one Redwood. And it's all the way at the north. We are going to highlight the Redwoods here in this episode. And you're going to argue with me and tell me that there's one Redwood. Okay. So maybe there are like California colloquial names, but generally speaking, there's only three nicknames. There's the one highway one and the Pacific coast highway or PCH. If you're cool, that's it. (laughs) That's exactly what it sounds like. It kind of does. All right. That's enough history. Let's just get into it. Here's a fun fact. Both you and my dad actually grew up in towns that were on highway one. We did. That's, uh, you know, that's why we're so close, actually. That's the only thing that kept us together. Oh, what? Who? Wait, what? Me and your dad. <laughs> so my dad grew up in an area known as South Bay in Los Angeles. Um, the areas are super, super cute. But the highway that runs through there, it's not like what you think of as a highway. The one in that area is just like a big street. It kind of runs through like Hermosa Beach, Manhattan Beach, Redondo Beach. Super cute area. One of my favorite spots in LA. And but it's also, not scenic. Yeah, it's also kind of like an annoying street. So I usually just like don't count that as the one. I do love to stay in that area. Like I love Hermosa Beach. Um, that's where we stayed and hold up for a while when we were taking care of Grandpa Bob um, when he faked his own death on our year-long honeymoon, which if you haven't listened to that episode, highly recommend it. Yeah, we were actually like living our best life there. We were waking up early and we going on twice. going on walks. Again, twice. You went surfing once. I did go surfing once. And that's and also when we got into Pokemon Go. Yes, that is. We were like, we were like a lot of Magikarp. nine months late to the Pokemon Go train, but we did it. So anyway, you definitely visit that area, but don't get discouraged if you're if you find yourself on the Pacific Coast Highway and there's just like a bunch of chain stores and it just looks like L.A. Right. But Hermosa Beach is like I always like had some trepidation like, oh, we're going to stay in L.A. because I'm not an L.A. person, but Hermosa Beach is beautiful and the neighboring towns are really cute. Super cute. But my typically if I'm doing a highway one road trip, I kind of speed through the LA section and I head right up to Santa Monica and Santa Barbara, which are super pretty. Yeah. Usually when people aren't from California and they try to think about what the state looks like more often than not, they're actually imagining Santa Barbara. It's like long stretches of beach, these tall waving palm trees, Spanish architecture, fog. If you know what California is actually like, that's all Santa Barbara. It's gorgeous. And Santa Monica. Absolutely gorgeous. One of the places that people like to visit in Santa Barbara is the Santa Barbara Mission. And that's actually really interesting because all along the coast of California, we have um, these Spanish missions that are like peppering. It plays a really integral part in the history of California because before the U.S. acquired California and it sort of just sprang into existence, according to my history textbooks, there was a... You mean white history textbooks? Yes. There was a long, bloody history with Mexicans, Spaniards, and the Native Americans. Right. And so these missions, as beautiful as they are, keep in mind that they were there to convert Native Americans to Catholicism. They weren't happy places. Um, it's a complex history. Um, it is part of our history, but that's just, um, something to keep in mind when seeing and visiting these places. So if you head up from Santa Barbara and Santa Monica up the coast, you're going to get to a really quirky little town that looks super out of place, right? Like we talked about Spanish architecture and the Spanish missions. Suddenly you're going to find yourself in a Danish town called Solvang. Can we throw in some Danish music? know what danish music sounds like like clogs is that yes clogs honey they just sit around with a bunch of microphones and hit clogs against each other and like eating butter cookies they just have their butter cookies smacking against their clogs and then you hear all the crumbs dripping all the down and then they do their little clog dance and all over the crumbs i think that might be the americanized version of a danish town which is kind of what solvang is yeah so solvang is this danish town um there were a bunch of like danish 
immigrants that came to America looking for business prospects in the late 19th century. And, you know, they moved to the Midwest because cheapness. So when they all came to the Midwest, they brought with them the Danish approach to education, um, which involved Lutheran schools with an emphasis on creativity and poetry. That explains why I am such a beautiful and creative artist growing, growing up in the Midwest. But how did they get to California? So one of the Danes, Benedict Nordentoft, dreamt of having a Danish sorry, school. Do you mean Benedict Nordentoft? Yes. So he dreamt of having a Danish school on the west coast uh mainly because like right yeah mainly because of the weather i get it and so a plot of land opened up in the san Ynez valley and he bought it and then he took some of his other danish immigrants and they were like let's get the fuck out of the snowy area and let's go to the coast bro i just did the shaka for our listeners Uh, and so they brought a danish school there with the danish school there was a danish town and they just kind of put danish architecture and they just had a little slice of home spring up around the school it's kind of actually a very American story. Super American Danish story. So one of my favorite things to do in Solvang is eat a bowl of pea soup at Pea Soup Anderson's. Yeah, not technically in Solvang, but I mean, it's right there. My favorite thing to eat while in Solvang are Eber Skeevers. I'm sorry. Abel Skeevers? What did I say? Eber Skeevers. Eber Skeevers. I don't know what that was. I felt like I felt like Moira Rose doing the wine commercial. <laughs> <laughs> Herb Gervinder. Which, okay, we've been doing a lot of TV watching in, uh, you know, in quarantine after we finished Tiger King and Schitt's Creek has been great. Highly Babe, recommend. Now we have to put an explicit tag on it. Oh my God. I'm we already kidding. did. I know. Okay. So it once you've had a bowl of pea soup, pea soup Anderson's and looked around at this Danish town and admired the architecture, um, if you head up north on the coast, you're going to hit an area known as the Central Coast. And this is my personal favorite stretch of the entire Highway 1 road trip. Hey, mine too. And that's because Jeremy grew up there. Hey. It's so gorgeous. The first spot that you're going to hit is an area known as the Five Cities. Um, so there's Pismo Beach, Avila Beach. Those are the only two I know by name. Shell Beach, Grover Beach, and uh, I forgot the are other Are you serious? You grew up here. Arroyo Grande. Arroyo Grande. Sorry. Wow. I'm going to tell them that you forgot them. Now everybody knows. Also, Avila is not included in the five cities. It's actually Oceano, but whatever. I swear you're just making up Californian words. Shell Beach, Oceano. Come on. <laughs> Avila. So it's not really, they're not really cities. We call them five cities, but it's. It, they're, they're tiny little coastal they're towns. They're very tiny towns. And they're all bumped up together. So you'll be in Shell Beach and then you'll like cross the street and you're like in Arroyo Grande all of a sudden. Was the street that you crossed also Highway 1? I think it was called um, Oceanside or oh Ocean God. Drive. Whatever, just, whatever the yellow Avenue? card, whatever the yellow card song is. Ocean Avenue. One of my favorite things to do in Pismo Beach is to eat cinnamon rolls. Like it's, I will drive hours out of my way just to go eat those cinnamon rolls. They're so good. Yeah, it's called Old West cinnamon rolls and espresso. It doesn't look like much, but it's so good. Good goddamn. And so if good. you if you ask for the icing on the side, they give you extra icing. Hashtag life hack. Um, one of the other coolest things to do in Pismo Beach is to go dune bugging. They have these giant natural sand dunes, um, much like when we were in Peru and we went dune bugging in Huacachina, um, and I was too scared, so I didn't actually do it. But wait, no, that was sandboarding. That was sandboarding, but we did have to take buggies there. That was really scary. They still do sandboarding in Pismo, but dune bugging is definitely like the biggest attraction. Also, fun movie fact, if you've ever seen the Charlton Heston movie, The Ten Commandments, um, that I was haven't. filmed. That was filmed in the sand dunes of Pismo, and the director and studio had some disagreements about what to do with the actual set because they had spent so much money on it. But the director was like, "This is my film. I belong. This belongs here." So they just settled on leaving it there. Ooh, so there's like a random hidden set in the middle of the dunes. Well, it got buried over the years, but and like and eroded. But like, there's like that sounds super cool. Fragments of Egypt in Pismo. Have you been there? I haven't. I haven't been able to find it. Wow. I'm sure it's just like a quick Google search, but I'm I'm usually surfing when I'm there. Oh, my God. That's the other cool thing to do in Pismo is uh, go surfing. Great waves. <laughs> Super crunchy. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> you still don't know what crunchy means? No. <laughs> we didn't tell that story. Should I tell that story? Yeah. Okay. So this happened in Hermosa Beach, but since we're talking about surfing, I'll bring it up now. There was a storm, and after a storm, there's, like, really, like, choppy waves. You wanted to say crunchy. I did want to say crunchy. So I went surfing one day in Hermosa Beach, and I, I like, got the crap beat out of me, and I came... What do you mean you got the crap beat out of you? Because of the waves. They were just, like, all over the place. Oh, this was after you went surfing. I thought you were, like, walking down the beach and just got beat <laughs> up because you looked like such a California stereotype or something. 
<laughs> why would they beat me up because I look like I them? Don't, that's why I thought it was so weird. Anyway, so I got out of the ocean and this guy came up and he looked like Matthew McConaughey's brother. He might have actually been Matthew McConaughey. He was on like a BMX bike, but the BMX bike had an attachment. It was like a hook off the side so that he could balance his surfboard while he rode his oh bike God. on the bike path. That's goals. And he was just wearing board shorts and a shirt. Or no, I'm sorry, board shorts and a hat. No shirt. Did he have a six pack? I just want for our readers an image. Uh, no, he had a six pack under his beer belly because he was a middle aged man in a surf town. It may have been Matthew McConaughey preparing for a not as sexy role. Um, every Matthew McConaughey role is sexy. <laughs> anyway, he came <laughs> well, up. All right, all right, all right. I, he came up and like pulled his bike in front of me. He was like, "Man, it's crunchy out there, brother." <laughs> and like gave the shaka. Just did the shaka again. You can't help yourself. I can't. Uh, and then he just like rode off into the distance. Into the sunset. Yeah. And then he probably, that's probably when he started filming Interstellar. I don't know. I also once went surfing. Should we tell that story? Oh, yes. Can we please tell the surfing story? So I decided to attempt surfing because I married a California stereotype and he talks about it a lot. And I thought if my clumsy ginger husband can do it, I can probably do it. Can I I preface this? You keep saying that I surf a bunch. I'm really bad at it. No, you are. Like, shockingly bad at it. I've never seen you stand up on a wave. We've been married for like 18 years. Okay. Wow. So this is kind of when we we had been dating for like, I don't know, six months or so. Um, So I was like, all right, you can teach me how to surf. So the first thing you have to do is get a wetsuit because the Pacific Ocean is freezing cold, um, not unlike the Titanic. Yeah, people think that it's going to be really warm and it never, it's not. Absolutely not. It's it's horrifyingly cold. The beaches are nice. In the south, yes. So um, I go to the wetsuit shop and this dude with dreads hands me a size medium. Okay, he didn't have dreads. He, he definitely did. Sun bleached hair. I went to high school with him. Of course you did. Yeah. He hands me a medium, even though I'm a size 16 and five foot, you know, 11 or whatever. So uh, it takes me a while to try to put that on. It was, like a, it was like a two hour ordeal because he was. It was like trying to squeeze my leg into a, a garden hose. It took a very long time to figure out that I'm actually a size XL men's. But eventually, five hours later, uh, we get out to the beach with our extremely heavy surfboards and drag them across the sand, which is like five miles. And then you showed me how to pop up for a while, um, which I did not grasp at all. And then we got into the water. In my defense, I also don't grasp how to pop up. So Why were you teaching me that? I don't know. You wanted to surf. <laughs> In my head, it was it was romantic and cute. Um, anyway, so we get into the water and he's like, oh, you just have to swim out to where the waves are breaking. It's all the way out there and just points like off into the horizon. Like You mean where miles. the waves are obviously breaking? It's like Moana. It was like that, except for instead of singing me a song, he's like, you have to treadmill your arms in the freezing cold water forever. Yeah, you're a really strong swimmer, but you can't use your legs when you're on a surfboard. You can't use your legs because yeah. they're on a surfboard tied together, basically. So we're like treadmilling in this freezing ass water for what felt like an eon, just millennia. And then I look up as yet another wave is going to crash into my face and burn my eyes. And I see this just like horrifying, slimy, giant blob of tentacles just looming at me. And I realize there's like a cloud of a billion jellyfish just staring at me straight in the face. Okay, so this is cute, except in actuality, the one jellyfish that you saw was about the size of a baseball. It, it was menacing at me. It was. It looked like it was going to attack me right in my face. It was the tiniest, cutest, snuggliest jellyfish I've ever seen. Actually, in Jeremy's own words, he referred to it as a harmless jelly, which sounds adorable, I realize, but it did not feel adorable or charming in the moment. So I start screaming my head off. All these other surfers are looking at me thinking I saw a shark because Jeremy didn't tell me this, but there are sharks there. Yeah, we're on the shark highway. What the fuck is the shark highway? You know. But it wasn't shark season. What the fuck is shark season? Oh my God. You're like a Discovery Channel special. (laughs) Well, she started screaming and there's all these surfers and they're like, oh shit. Because like, yeah, we get sharks there from time to time, but people keep a lookout. Oh, we get sharks there from time to time. You're like Jaws. This is is how Jaws happens. So she starts screaming and people just assume shark. And so they all start freaking out and looking around. And then they all see like like these friendly jellies. 
and these friendly jellies. It's not a toxic jellyfish. It wasn't going to attack you. Mm-hmm. Which so, you then found out that I like know the difference between jellyfish by who, sight. Who learns that? Like, what class taught you how to identify friendly jellies and not so friendly jellies by sight? Did you guys not have marine survival classes in public school <laughs> oh in Kentucky? Oh my god! What what do they teach you there? So I like jumped off of my surfboard. Not that I was very much on it, and I tried to swim towards shore. So I like flop off of my surfboard and I try to book it back to shore, except for you're attached to the surfboard, like a horrible anchor. So I wasn't getting anywhere and I'm just screaming and flailing around like I'm drowning. Eventually Jeremy comes over and frees me and I like made my way terrified back to shore. It looks sort of like the, the opening of Jaws meets like Baywatch, but Baywatch starring like deer as soon as they're born. She was just flailing around the water. Am I Pamela Anderson in Baywatch or am I like a a deer that somebody threw into a pond? Both. That's what that's what they were. I don't know if that's a compliment. Anyway, uh, I never went surfing again, but I did get back in the water that day and helped Jeremy look for jellyfish. It was a good time, actually. To save his life. Um, well, we're talking about surfing in Morro Bay, so um, Morro Bay was also the next stop on the road trip. Tomorrow Bay is Jeremy's hometown. Hey. It is it is the cutest, most charming little hometown. It's like right on this little bay, um, and there's a little boardwalk, and then there's this giant rock sitting in the middle of it in full view of the town, which used to be a volcanic plug. Yeah, it's called Morro Rock, and it was it acted as like a natural beacon for seafarers as early as the 1500s, and it was considered sacred ground for the Chumash and Salinan um, native tribes. See, it makes sense for you to have learned that in high school. Like, that makes sense. I mean, we barely touched on it. Uh, speaking of high school, Jeremy's high school is literally on the beach. Like, okay. not like near the beach, literally on, like, the, it touches the beach. We had a really tough time, though. Like, sand got all over the place. Oh, my God. Didn't you also say that it was, like, a rite of passage to get pooped on by a seagull? Oh, yeah, definitely. It happened to me my freshman year. It was semester one. I was about to go into a drama class final, and a bird pooped right on my crotch. Your life growing up in California was just a torrent of horrors. I can't wait to read the biography version of your life. Didn't Uh, you used to go like surfing on your lunch break? That happened one time. Oh my God. Didn't your teachers used to go like go surfing and get high? Oh yeah, definitely. It was like three of the social studies teachers. They're all retired at this point. So, but I'm still not going to name them. Uh, they used to pile into one of their this one of them had a like a blue Miata and they would put surfboards in there and then just drive the block to the to the parking lot. Oh, my God. Get high and surf on there because they had a shared prep. Why um, don't you do stuff like that? Like you're a cool high school teacher. What do you do on your preps? Um, for those of my students listening, and I know there are some of you. You can attest. I am not the cool teacher. Oh, well, my bad. Yeah. On my preps, I play with Mulan. Well, sometimes you watch Netflix. And eat frozen burritos. Anyway, moving on. That's my lunch break. <laughs> my bad. So there's this giant rock and you can see it from every part of the town. Like it, it's it's the icon of the town. Yeah, the rock can be seen all over the place. And it's actually like a it's an icon for our town. And people come by trying to visit Moral Rock, but they don't understand that it's actually a volcano. Some people think of it more of like the Blarney Stone or like a moon rock where Aww. it's like on display. And so... Everyone that I grew up with had some sort of customer service job. And it's a very common thing if you are dealing with tourists, because tourism is our biggest industry. Um, somebody will ask you, where is the rock? And it's literally, you can see it from every single place. Anywhere in the town, you can see it. Um, and so we kind of have this running joke where we try to come up with the best like fake like fake locations for the rock. Ooh, what's your favorite? Um, my favorite was, uh, here, ask me where the rock is. Okay, where's the rock? Oh, it's seasonal. You just missed it. It's on its tour up north. That's so cute. See, at Disney, when we would get asked what time is the three o'clock parade, we couldn't give them a sassy answer. Okay, we did the Disney episode. You need to drop it. Oh, my God. And then you guys also have that lame hand signal. I'm sorry. That really cool hand signal. Because there's like, there's the rock. Oh, my God. He's doing it right now. So there's the giant rock. And then there's also these three smokestacks that you can see all over town, um, which I assume were part of like a jellyfish canning factory at some point. So you guys have the three stacks and a rock hand signal, which is kind of like Wakanda forever, except for one hand is holding up three fingers. And the other hand is like a fist. Very, very cool. Also, I just want to mention, speaking of amazing moments in Jeremy's life that will be in his biography, he was his senior high school class president and he ran as a joke and he won because he looks a lot like Napoleon Dynamite and it had just come out. That... (sighs) 
whatever. You know, it's, you know, it's true. Yeah. Well, I got stiffed with having to plan the 10 year reunions for the rest of my life. That so. seems fair. Didn't yeah. you also promise everybody that you were going to install roller coasters in the parking lot? Yeah. We had like a candidate debate one lunch and it got like sprang up and I had no idea it was going to happen. So I just made these like very obvious empty promises and people thought it was funny. So I don't know what happened to the rest of your political career. I'm glad that it ended there, actually. You sound like a shoo-in for president, honestly. I mean. So the other thing that I love about Morrow Bay, um, other than the charming little boardwalk when there's like saltwater taffy and like really good restaurants, um, there are a bunch of otters because Morrow Bay is a marine wildlife sanctuary with a natural otter birthing spot, like right in the middle of town where the bunch of the fisher fishermen ship. Is, the, is that the right word? Fish Fisher ships? Fisher people ship? Why are you looking at me like that? I'm just going to leave this in. We're not going to cut this out. (laughs) Fisherman ships. Yes. Okay. There's a bunch of ships where people fish. They're called fucking boats, dude. (laughs) It's not like, it's not like pirates like dock. Although that is a high school mascot and we do have a long, a long boat that shows up once a year. You have a bunch of like pirate bars that you call crusty dives. They are some crusty dives. Anyway, there's a bunch of otters in the bay. One time we were there and it was like in the middle of breeding season, I guess. Um, And they, it was like 40 different otters and they all had tiny little otter babies on their little chests and stomachs. And they were so cute. It was the cutest thing. There's also just like shitloads of harbor seals and sea lions that hang out around because yeah it's a harbor and it's a natural sanctuary yeah you can spend all day just like kayaking stand up paddle boarding it's really cute we actually do have an entire post about morrow bay um so that'll be in the show notes or you can just google things to do in morrow bay practicalwanderlust.com when you leave morrow bay to go north you actually have an optional detour that you can take which is one of your favorite destinations on the central coast el paso de robles okay yes but we all just say paso robles that's that's horrifying. Oh, yeah. We really anglify it. Yeah. Speaking of things that you pronounce like a Californian, can you order a taco for our listeners, please? Um, Puedo tener dos tacos de pescado, por favor? Make, my ears are actually bleeding. It's one of your favorite uh, things that you do for your students, actually. They think it's hilarious. They do. Um, so anyway, Paso Robles, or El Paso de Robles, um, is our wine country. It's like really chill wine country. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. Napa can be a little fancy schmancy hoity toity. A little pretentious. It's also very expensive. Paso Robles is really laid back. There's like free tastings at a lot of the tasting rooms. Really cheap. Chances are you'll walk in and like the owner of the winery might be there. Everybody kind of knows each other. It's a really small, cute town. And we actually have two different posts about Paso Robles because we love it so much. Um, one just about wine and one about all the other things to do in Paso Robles that aren't wine. Yeah, I mean, Paso's, like, town motto is the only thing better than the vines or the vibes. No, it's not. Is no, I'm, it? just, I'm just kidding. Oh, just my God. I believed it, though. It's so realistic. <laughs> <laughs> so if you go back to the one, um, the next stop north after Morrow Bay is Cambria, which is a really cute little town that we honestly only ever stop in for one reason. And a lullaby pie. Which sounds made up, um, especially when you explain what it's made out of. It's a hybrid between a Loganberry and a Youngberry. Which, I swear to God, those are not real fruits. They're just both different types of raspberry-blackberry hybrids. Why don't you just say it's a raspberry-blackberry hybrid then? Um, because we're cultured, Oh, honey. my God. Anyway, you go to Lynn's Bakery. You order the alalaberry pie with fresh witch cream. It is really good, and it's well worth the stop. Yeah, it's a great breakfast, lunch, or dinner spot. Or you can just take one to go. Whatever. Yeah. So if you're driving north from Cambria, the next thing that you're going to hit is one of my favorite, like, interesting, quirky, historical stops along the one, Hearst Castle. Yeah, so Hearst Castle was um, built by the famed newspaper tycoon William Randolph Hearst. Um, His life was, like, sort of adapted in Citizen Kane, although it's not official because he tried to shut down production, so they, like, couldn't base it off of his life. It's a whole thing. Sounds like it's definitely based off of him if he got that pissy. Oh, it's super based off of his life. Uh, So he built this like giant mansion in the hills and then filled it with exotic animals. Um, There's still zebras there if you pass it now. So it's kind of like William Randolph Hearst is like if Donald Trump and Joe Exotic were combined into one human uh, with a giant castle living in the 40s. Oh, my God. That was really accurate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this ginormous castle um, is like... 123 acres of just gardens there's 165 rooms and nothing in it makes 
any sense. It was literally like he would just go around the world and point at stuff and say, I want that one. And then somebody would cart it home for him and he'd stick it in his weird mansion. Yeah, there's like no architectural identity. There's two pools that are like the best parts of the house are the pools. Yeah, they look and pretty baller. one's done in like a Roman style. Another one is supposed to look like Mount Olympus. And then you walk inside and there's like gothic windows but then you have like a moroccan fireplace like he basically just walked around europe which is how he got the idea to make a mansion he walked around europe with his mom and was just like i want a castle one day mommy and then he didn't even walk around he was on vacation with his rich family and was just like i'll take that one i want a castle of my own so he actually stole the land from uh like stole native land shocked and uh truly shocked hired Julia Morgan, who's one of the most, you know, she's like probably the most famous female architect of all time uh, to build this like super gaudy mansion. I don't think she's like proud of it, but it was definitely a good paycheck for her. She worked on that thing for years and years. I think it was 18 years. Adding on random shit because he'd be like, I bought a fireplace from Morocco and I want it in that room. He wasn't British, by the way. That's just my (laughs) douchey Willy Wonka voice. Um, but if you're the kind of person who goes to like Versailles or like the Biltmore Estates or any of like those mansions full of rich people doing ridiculous rich people things, you might enjoy a tour at Hearst Castle. It is really, really weird. The thing is, is that even though we're judging and, you know, we judge all of these places and these like ostentatious mansions. Yeah, we're real judging. Um a lot, we really appreciate when those places are like self-aware. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, look at how like frivolous this was and how ridiculous. Like Versailles does that. Uh, yeah, like they talk about how Marie Antoinette built a fake farm because she was idealizing how fun it would be to be fake and work on a farm. Or even in the Biltmore Estates, they showcase like the slave quarter or the servant quarters, I should say. Um, they don't do that in Hearst Castle. Oh, they, no. It's the opposite of that. Yeah, you watch a welcome video and then the tour guides and like Alex Trebek, who narrates the bus trip up Super the hill. random. All of them paint Hearst as this like pioneer and like um, the he like lived the american dream and built the modern newspaper blah 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 and it's like no he was just like a rich spoiled dude who like built a fun mansion and then had a bunch of really cool parties with famous hollywood starlets which okay that's cool but can we not like make it into like a heroic story right i mean he's not a hero like to us but i mean Hearst Castle, it's like super interesting to see. Uh, when you do tour it, there are three different tours. Like there's the inside, the garden tour, and like the servant's house. They're all very expensive. They're all very expensive, and you never see the whole house. But um, it's definitely worth a stop. Um, and you can decide for yourself if he was just if he was a hero of the American dream or just another rich white dude. He was just a rich white dude. Just a rich um, white dude. So if you see zebras, look up the hill and look for the giant palm trees off in the distance. That's the castle. <laughs> A couple minutes up the road from Hearst Castle is my favorite stop in this area, the uh, Piedras Blancas Elephant Seal Rookery in San Simeon. Aww. They're They're, so cute. They are the derpiest animals ever. They are like, if you took like a walrus and a manatee and then crossed it with like an elephant and then dropped it in the ocean. You know what? I got it. I got it. I got it. Overweight manatee Mm -hmm. and then you just pull it to be longer. That's weird. Also, I love manatees. No, they're derpier than manatees. Listen, Google elephant seal right now. They also make the weirdest noises and like just roll around flopping. Even their babies, like the Wait, pups. Can we can we just put in some some elephant seal noises right now? <laughs> it really assaults your ears. It sounds like a bunch of monkeys. They're like my, but like they're my patronus. Even the pups, like they start out really cute and then they hit like adolescent age and they just start like molting and all of their skin comes off and it's horrifying and they're just not cute but like super cute i love them so much they also can only move like three feet at a time they do this like caterpillar crawl and then they'll just like flomp on the ground for like 20 minutes because that was a lot of energy i do that when i wake up in the morning yeah i'm surprised that you're like making fun of them when the both of us have so much in common with these with these majestic beasts so you can just like pull up in the parking lot and go and stare at the elephant seals for a while it's free it's awesome definitely don't miss it and then once you are done getting your fill of elephant seals as though that is even possible keep going north and you will reach Big Sur. This is 
the most beautiful stretch of the coastline. Uh, it confused me at first because Big Sur isn't necessarily like a destination, like a place or like a town kind of. That's not true. Okay, like technically, yes, it's a town. But when people say Big Sur, they're really referring to the stretch of coast between Hearst Castle and Monterey up north. And it's it's just absolutely the most beautiful coastline in the world. It's beautiful. It's rugged, isolated, like mountains and redwoods and valleys on one side, the ocean on the other. Um, and then throughout the whole coastline, there's not really much except for like some really expensive houses like and, so a, expensive. And, a, and a small cluster of businesses. You can't get to Big Sur any other way than driving on Highway 1. And electricity didn't even get there until the 1950s. It's actually a really interesting history. Oh, is it? Can we jump into that? Yeah, let's tell the history. Oh. oh what a surprise. So after California magically popped into existence uh, when white people history began, the area was quickly inhabited by early homesteaders taking advantage of like free land. Kind of you just would show up and they would just like hand you 160 acres of beautiful coastline. And some of the homesteaders are like pretty familiar names for the area, like the Bixby's, the Pfeiffer's, the Anderson's. So basically you could say that it was kind of worth it to risk a whole Donner Party situation. Would you say that? Would you say that? Do you have two state parks named after your family? Um, my last name is the eighth most common last name in the world. I'm pretty sure that we have a park somewhere. <laughs> anyway, so there was a bunch of industry in the area for a while, like lumber and uh, limestone quarries and gold digging, obviously. Yeah, because, you know, the best thing to do when you live in such a beautiful area is to ruin it and make a buck by everything that makes it wonderful. Yeah, but still, the area didn't really develop more than just like a post office and a schoolhouse. Eventually, all that industry just gave way to tourism. And in the early 1900s, they started building fancy resorts. But you still couldn't get there easily. During high tide, the road to Big Sur back then was literally covered in water. So they blasted the shit out of the coast and put up a highway. They built the highway between 1921 and 1937. And it was so rugged and difficult that it required 32 bridges. The, it was all built by convict labor. Um, and there were like a lot of casualties. Yikes. So then Big Sur opened up to the world, much to the horror of the early homesteaders who were like, we were here first, which hilarious. In the 40s and 50s, um, there was kind of like a group of bohemian artists and writers that flocked to Big Sur and started to call it home. And it began to get this reputation as like a creative artist enclave, which then led to these like wild, salacious tales in local newspapers of all the goings on in Big Sur. One of the most famous people that went down was author Henry Miller. And he tells a story of a man who showed up on his doorstep one day to announce that he was there to, quote, Join the cult of sex and anarchy. Which is exactly the reason that I moved to San Francisco, actually. Oof. But much like San Francisco, there is no actual cult of sex and anarchy. And even if there was, you can't just show up and ask to join. You have to be invited. Um, but it was really just like a bunch of artists and writers working on stuff really quietly and like looking out at the ocean or whatever, supposedly. Its modern reputation is attached to creatives and artists still, like folks like Jack London, John Steinbeck, Jack Kerouac, Ansel Adams. Many others have either lived there or spent a lot of time in Big Sur. A lot of writers were inspired by Big Sur. For example, Jack Kerouac. In the early 60s, he took a taxi from San Francisco to Big Sur, totally wasted because he like wanted to sober up, but like in a really nice place. Sounds like Kerouac. He fell in love with Big Sur and was inspired by it to write a book, uh, which was definitely not just about himself, about a published writer who is overwhelmed by newfound fame and escapes to the Big Sur wilderness to sober up and uh, get some inspiration, which, you know, is what I just said. Anyway, he ends up really lonely, returns to San Francisco and uh, keeps drinking. So I'm going to be honest with you. I own the book. Uh, I have picked it up and read, like, thumbed through it several times, but I've never actually read it. In the back of the book, he also includes a poem called Sea, Sounds of the Pacific Ocean at Big Sur. Oh, that sounds like one of my favorite playlists on Spotify. It does. It's the one that you play when I'm trying to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Well, he wrote it while overlooking the sea and listening to the ocean, uh, but it's actually just like a very long list of gibberish words. Um, I think he might have still been drunk while he wrote it. I don't understand it at all just goes right over my head so today the residents of big sur are still relatively isolated and have to travel either to carmel or monterey for supplies uh, it's also frequently cut off by storms and road closures um, especially during the rain because that causes landslides yeah you're not like guaranteed cell service or wi-fi or electricity or road access but you do have to be really wealthy to live there but it's also like insanely beautiful to drive through there's this quote that Henry Miller wrote about raising his children in Big Sur. Um, Jeremy, would you do me the honors, please? <coughs> they had skies of pure azure and walls of fog moving in and out of the canyons with invisible feet. 
hills in winter of emerald green, and in summer mountain upon mountain of pure gold. They had even more, for there was ever the unfathomable silence of the forest, the blazing immensity of the Pacific, days drenched with sun and nights spangled with stars. You know, in Kentucky, we had a drive your tractor to school day. So same, 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 same. Uh, Miller did make a huge mark on Big Sur, and there's like a memorial library, the Henry Miller Memorial Library, right in town. Uh, it's like the cultural art and soul of Big Sur. It kind of just looks like a quiet little bookstore, gallery, and cafe on the outside, but it moonlights as like the hippest place for giant musical acts to show up totally unannounced while they're on a Highway One road trip and give impromptu concerts. We're talking about like Red Hot Chili Peppers, The Pixies, Philip Glass, Yola Tango, Joanna Newsom, Arcade Fire, The Decemberists, just anybody cool they yeah. played there they, there's like a redwood grove next to the library and anyway it's just the coolest thing ever big sur has literally been the cool place to be for everybody since like the 60s like if you were like a creative and famous person in california and you weren't just like hanging around in big sur dropping lsd and hugging redwoods in the 60s like what were you even doing with your life and i'm directing this directly at my dad because he lived in this area in the 60s and he was not dropping acid in big sur which disappoints me you he doesn't say that he ever did. I mean, uh, <sighs> I'm just kidding. Your dad probably does not. Um, other than the library, there's honestly like not a lot else to see in Big Sur, but it's not the place. Um, it's not the place that you go to do like things. You should go to do like outdoorsy things. Like, right. There's a lot of hikes. There's three different state parks located in Big Sur. Julia Pfeiffer, Julia Pfeiffer Burn State Park, Pfeiffer Big Sur State Park. Wow, the Pfeiffer's really uh, had to come up. I'm telling you, Donner Party's worth it. Anyway. Then there's Andrew Malera State Park, and there's a ton of different hikes in all of them. Our favorite hike is actually from the Kirk Creek campsite up to Vicente Flats. And speaking of camping, that's the other best thing to do there. There's a bunch of campsites, although a lot of them are hiking. Which is actually good, because you can't get a reservation in Yosemite, so you might as well take your chances in Big Sur, am I right? 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 Uh, there's also a lot of natural hot springs in the area. If you're up for a 20-mile backpacking trip, uh, you can hike to Sykes Hot Springs, which is insanely popular, but because of the popularity, it's gotten a little bit like... There's been a lot of like littering and stuff, so some, they'll close it periodically. Then there's also the Esalen Hot Springs uh, at the Esalen Institute. Which I thought it was Esalen. I don't know. No, either way, I've always just assumed it was a cult. Um, no, it's definitely not a cult. Here's a description from Google. The Esalen Institute is a nonprofit American retreat center and intentional community, which focuses on humanistic alternative education, um, also the birthplace of the human potential movement in the 1960s. Oh, you know what? It is a cult. Yeah, that's 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 just cult moves right there. Here's a fun fact. Hunter S. Thompson, who is from my hometown, Louisville, Kentucky, was involved in the founding of the Esalen Institute, um, along with Aldous Huxley and like Joan Baez and like everybody else cool in the 60s. He also wrote like a tell-all about the hot springs back when they were this hot spot for hip cool san francisco gays on getaways and honestly we could just spend ages talking about big sur because there's so many crazy stories like this luckily you don't have to join a cult to enjoy the hot springs i i think, I think yeah, yeah i'm pretty sure uh, you can take a dip here between 1 a.m and 3 a.m and clothing obviously is optional welcome to big sur Another iconic thing to do in Big Sur is to see Mickway Falls. It's a giant waterfall that's also a tidefall, which means that during high tides, the waterfall spills directly into the ocean. There's only 25 of them in the world, and two of them are not only in California, but along Highway 1. Honestly, this is like a wonder of the world, and somehow it barely sounds nearly as exciting as the rest of Big Sur. I don't know how you would measure that up to the human potential movement founded by Aldous Huxley. <laughs> anyway, if you're incredibly wealthy, there are several luxury resorts at Big Sur as well. All of them are just unreal so there's the nepenthe and ventana which are the best known it's like it's my dream to stay there or even just like eat at a restaurant there. or even just like be allowed in the doors yeah they don't let people like us in but you forgot about tree bones oh yeah tree bones so okay they have like yurts and this human nest which is made out of like driftwood sticks um, and it's like completely open air you have to bring your own bedding for the nest and mm. it's definitely not waterproof mm provides very little shelter from the freezing cold hmm. um but it's expensive right yep it's like the yurts are super nice but the nest is mostly like it's just really cool i actually spent my bachelor party in a yurt there with a few friends just i want to just quote you your bachelor party was in a yurt in big sur and yet you tried to argue with me that you weren't a walking california stereotype <sighs> whatever 
Our final must-stop place in Big Sur is the Big Sur Bakery. They have amazing croissants. All their food is good, honestly, but if you get there early enough before they're sold out, you have to get their croissants. We like to take a little bag of croissants and pack a little picnic lunch. And there's a spot up near the Ventana parking lot where you can sit and eat it and overlook the ocean and pretend that you're rich enough to go to Ventana or cool in the 1960s and an artistic LSD person. Once you're ready to leave Big Sur and you continue to head north, you'll hit the charming little town of Monterey. Monterey was made famous by the local darling, literary giant, and one of my all-time favorite authors, John Steinbeck, in his novel Cannery Row. It's named after the real-life Cannery Row, which is where they canned sardines in downtown Monterey, historically. And the centerpiece of Monterey, hands down, is the Monterey Bay Aquarium. I have to be honest, aquariums have like been ruined for me because the Monterey Bay Aquarium is so much better than all of them. It's a world-class um, aquarium that's like a foref- on the forefront of scientific research and conservation efforts. If you've ever seen, if you've ever seen Finding Dory, the aquarium there, and they said that it was in Morro Bay, is not actually in Morro Bay. It's in Monterey. Oh yeah, we should have talked about that. Uh, oh, there yeah. was an aquarium in Morro Bay that you took me to on the first time that we went. It was kind of just like a, a sad seal alone in a cement room. Yeah, it was super abusive and they actually closed it down because they they realized like, oh, this is terrible. It was rated as like one of the lowest one quality the uh, aquariums in the world. In the world, yeah. yeah. Uh, and somehow that ended up being where Finding Dory was set. But yeah. actually it's set in Monterey. Yeah, so they modeled it after Monterey and Monterey is phenomenal it's also a wildlife refuge well the best part of the aquarium is definitely the otters oh, hands, Hand, down. hands down they're all like rescues or like rehabilitation um and so they're like you know they like have little injuries and stuff and they're really cute and you can watch them on live webcam yeah uh leah spent half the day while writing the outline for this episode just watching otters on webcam i mean i was getting inspiration but wow <laughs> monterey is surrounded by a kelp forest um which we learned all about at the aquarium it's like built into it right yeah the aquarium kind of goes into the ocean and you can see the kelp forest it's not like they took the kelp forest and brought it in it's like you're in the actual ocean it's a pretty baller aquarium you guys yeah it's also nearby there's excellent scuba diving and you can actually scuba dive through the kelp forest and see all of the wildlife and there's like it's a really good sight of seeing like the giant Pacific octopus. Damn. That yeah. sounds awesome. You are also pretty much guaranteed to see otters. Um, and even if you just go kayaking or like, I don't know, hang out around Monterey Bay, you'll see some otters. Mm-hmm. The moral of the story of this episode is otters. Honestly. <laughs> this road trip is better than all the otters. Oh my God. Stop. I guess I just really you know, sealed my fate with that one. Oh my God. Are you harboring any more terrible puns? You liked it. Don't be sea lion. Well, that is why you're my bae. Okay, that's... <laughs> Come on, that was the best one. That's a bit much. That's a bit much, honey. Okay, so so what happens after Monterey? Um, well, it's high tide that we moved on, so you are going to... <laughs> <laughs> nice. That one was good. I'll give you that one. All right. So if you head north, you're going to hit Santa Cruz. Um, It's a really cute little college town. It's got this like charming, walkable downtown area. And it stretches all the way from the Redwoods down to the beach. And there's even a cute little steam train that will take you in between the Redwoods and the beach. It's really cute. And if you spend like five minutes there, chances are you are going to see a banana slug. Almost as cute as an otter. Almost. They're really hard to miss. Um, You'll definitely see them because they are giant neon yellow slugs. They're slimy friends and they're the mascot for UC Santa Cruz as well as the patron saint of the area. I love that you called them slimy friends and it explains so much about why you think jellies are adorable. Can you imagine a little jelly being friends with a banana slug? I feel like that could. If that was a kid's like TV show, I would get high and watch it. That's like, oh my God, babe, is that where SpongeBob came from? SpongeBob is a sponge, honey. I know, but come on. It would fit right in. I mean, a squirrel lives in Bikini Bottom, so why not? Okay, we got really off topic. So speaking of giant neon yellow slugs. Great transition. Okay. Santa Cruz is really, really weird, but they like kind of love being weird. Like if you've ever heard of something that sounds like super really hippie granola and you just roll your eyes and you're like, oh my God, California, which I do several times a day, you're probably actually thinking of Santa Cruz without realizing it. Either that or Berkeley. Yeah. Think like drum circles, surfers wearing Santa Claus costumes, walking through clouds of weeds, meeting hippies who never actually stopped when the 60s ended, the Bigfoot Discovery Museum. Okay. You First of all, Bigfoot Discovery Museum sounds awesome. Second of all, you said clouds of weeds. Just want I to did. point that out. <laughs> well, it's illegal where I grew up. All right. 
just outed myself. I have to leave California now. Speaking of the Bigfoot Discovery Museum, if you like super weird, kitschy, campy stuff, you should definitely visit the mystery spot. Ooh, what's the mystery spot? As though I don't already know. Well, I'm glad you asked. The mystery spot is a gravitational anomaly tucked deep into a redwood forest. It's a place where the laws of physics cease to apply, where up is down, right is left, and balls roll uphill before your very eyes. Is it alien activity? Is it a magma vortex? Could it be dielectric biocosmic radiation or perhaps radiesthesia? Now you're just making up words. Whatever the reason, the spot remains a mystery. Oh, that's why it's called the mystery spot. I get it now. Okay, but really though, it's a blasty blast and I did not make those words up. They're actually on the mystery spots website. Fun fact, we once stayed at an Airbnb Redwood tree house, which shares a driveway with the mystery spot. Those combination of words are just wow. Yeah. I mean, nothing weird happened. We did see a lot of banana slugs. There's also some really creepy history around this area because Santa Cruz is rumored to be super haunted. Oh, because of all the Ohlone Native Americans that were massacred to make way for the mission and the Spanish and everything. Uh, Well, yeah, there's that. There's that. Mm-hmm. But I was also thinking of the co-ed killer, the Santa Cruz, UC Santa Cruz serial killer who murdered eight college age girls um, and also his mom and also his grandparents and also one of his professors at UCSC. It's also the location of the villa where Hitchcock based the Bates Mansion off of. Uh, it used to be known as the Hotel McRae, and employees reported like hot, like cold spots, ghostly voices, hauntings, eerie lights, and even Satanists. <gasps> Satanists! Oh my god! Oh my god! Well, the hotel has since been renamed the Sunshine Villa, and oh. it's a senior living home. Oh well, that sounds nice. Oh. I also heard, uh, speaking of Hitchcock, that it's where the real life incident that inspired the birds came from. But apparently, it was just like a flock of birds that got really confused by the fog. So not. Not actually that scary. I mean, I grew up with a lot of like a lot of seagulls, so I get it. No, we get it. You grew up on the beach in California off of Highway 1. No, we, we're all aware now. We're all caught up. Yep. Okay. Something you cannot miss in Santa Cruz is also the boardwalk. It's like a proper boardwalk with like games and roller coasters and stuff. If you've ever seen the movie Us, then the boardwalk should look familiar. But don't worry because there are no tethered to speak of. But I mean, how do you know you can trust me? Like... Jeremy, literally, no one gets your references. It's not just me. Nobody understands your references. Anyway. Speaking of what the boardwalk looks like, Disneyland. The boardwalk in Disneyland is based off of the boardwalk in Sandy Cruz. That's much more recognizable. You said Sandy Cruz. Santa Cruz. Who's Sandy Cruz? She's the character in SpongeBob. Nice. Okay. <laughs> anyway, while you're there, uh, take the steam train from the Redwoods to the beach, hang out on the boardwalk, drink some Verve coffee. Um, befriend a slug and question your perception of the laws of physics. It's Santa a great Cruz time. This is a great time. Yeah. Just north of Santa Cruz up the coast, you will finally make it to San Francisco. <laughs> Arguably the best destination on your Highway 1 road trip. I would love to argue with you on that. Honey, no. Our listeners already get an uncomfortably intimate peek into our marriage without us needing to do that on air. Anyway, a lot of stuff to do in San Francisco, but we're not going to talk about it because, hey, we already did an episode on it. Noise. Noise, yeah. noise, 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 noise. It's a first episode, too, so it's easy to find. Yeah. yeah. Just go to the first episode. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, much like LA, Highway 1 gets a little weird in San Francisco. Like, it stops being a coastal highway, and then it turns into just, like, a street, and then back to a highway, and then, like, a street, and then a different highway, and then a street. But, like, it's, like, Highway 101. So, it's, like, the 1, and then it's the 101, and then it's the 101, and the 1, and then the 1 becomes the 101, and then it goes back into being the 1, but then it's the 101. It's very confusing. This is actually... I'm just going to give like a little brief uh, insight into my life before Jeremy. When I first moved here to San Francisco, I took a Highway 1 road trip uh, and I actually was on the 101 the whole time. And I was like really confused. I couldn't figure out what the big deal was because it was just like farms and stuff. And I was like, I don't get this. And I didn't realize that I was on the wrong highway until I did the one with Jeremy for the first time. He made fun of me the whole time. I did. But not because of that. I was just. Wow. Wow. We had a contentious like beginning of our relationship. I'm just kidding. Which we never were, ended. I'm just kidding. We were obsessed with each other from day one. Um, I have the divorce papers drawn up if you want to just after after this is done. Tight. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the, about the confusion about the one, the easiest way to find it, Golden Gate Bridge is the one slash the 101. See how it's confusing though? Anyway, if you continue north, the one and the 101 become the one and the 101 again instead of the one slash the 101 where they're the same, but then they become But wasn't Neo the different. one? Different. <laughs> Oh my God. But then who is the 101? <laughs> 
No, honestly, we have the same confusing thing in Louisville because there's like the 64, the 65, the 264, and the 265. So yeah, I that's get it. way more confusing than the one and the 101. And then in Oakland, there's the 880, the 80, the 280, the 480. That's I feel like true. I'm just making things up now. You made the 480 up. It's 280, the 80, the 980, the 880, the 580, the See, 680. Yeah, I was. Okay. One of us definitely made up a okay, highway. Okay. Can we do a 180 here and get back Stop. to this? Anyway, so you drive over the Golden Gate Bridge and then just north of San Francisco, we have a national monument called Muir Woods. It's the closest old growth redwood forest to San Francisco. And it's named after famed environmental philosopher, John Muir, who is the father of our national park system. If you've never seen old growth redwoods, uh, this is like a must do, unless you like really hate crowds, in which case uh, you should go to Big Basin State Park south of San Francisco or Avenue of the Giants up north. Uh, But more on that one later. It is pretty popular. But while you're in the area and you're driving right through it anyway, you should stop at Stinson Beach in nearby Mount Tamalpais. They're both beautiful places to walk around and stretch your legs. And also the place where Jeremy told me he loved me for the first time, um, which is a story that we've already told. But just for a little bit of review for our listeners who don't remember, uh, he was drunk and he was wearing a Batman onesie and we were camping and he screamed it and the whole camp heard it. That's a fun chapter in our in our lives. I think so. Okay, anyway, if you keep going north, uh, you'll pass Point Reyes National Seashore. And it's a beautiful coastal area with, again, shocker, a lot of marine life. Why do you sound so, like, over that? <laughs> You're just like, oh, I used to wave at Rusty the Seal every morning when I walked to the, to, I don't know, for between my work and my school because I lived on the beach. By the way, did we talk about Rusty the Seal? No, we didn't. So there was a there's a restaurant uh, in my hometown where um, there was a seal outside and his name was Rusty and people would just like throw crab at him and he would pose. He was adorable. Oh my God. I can't believe you literally walked by Rusty the Seal every morning. It wasn't every morning. Up. It wasn't like on my way to school. It was on my way to work. Meanwhile, growing up in Kentucky, we had a dirty truck day. Yeah, you mentioned that. You're very proud of that. You oh, guys shoot. also did I not do the tractor one? No, you did. Was that not the same thing? Didn't you guys don't you guys just drive tractors around? No, there was drive your tractor to school day and then there was dirty truck day. They're different days. I feel like you're making things up. No, now. I'm not. Look, Spencer County High School. Okay, you guys also got the Wait, day before. Sorry. No, that sounds like I went to Spencer. I didn't go to Spencer County. That would be embarrassing. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> you guys also got the day off for the day before the derby so yeah. that your parents could drink 24 hours early. Yeah, it's the Oaks Day and you can't go to the actual derby because that's for tourists. The so locals all go to the Oaks and then they leave their kids at home unattended because they're gambling at the tracks. Do you guys not do that? No, we did not get the day off of school so that our parents could drink. God. I don't know why not. Sounds like you should have grown up in Kentucky too. I mean, we just kind of were at school while our parents were drinking. I'm just kidding. That got dark. That got dark. I was just totally kidding. I'm sorry. Okay. Anyway. Back to California. Back to California. Going back to Point Reyes. um, So you'll be driving by these absolutely beautiful coastline. And there's a lot of really great hikes in the area, including the hike to Alamir Falls, which if you've got like a little bingo card that you're working on on your Highland road trip, that would be the second tidefall on this road trip. Yeah, there's also a herd of tool elk that live in Point Reyes. And during certain times of rutting season, like the fall and winter, you can see them tussling with each other, which is adorable. But do it at a safe distance because they are beasts. When you say like rutting and tussling, are they just like fighting each other but with adorable names? Yes. Okay. They're just slapping their antlers together to the death so that whoever is the winner impregnates everyone else. And we call that tussling. Okay. That's just wanted to make that clear. Uh, our favorite hike in Point Reyes is to Tamales Point, And the trail goes all the way through the area where the tool elk are hanging out. So for 10 miles, you're just like looking at elk, uh, giant elk tussling with each other and coyotes and like there's seals and shit. And it's really, really awesome. We saw this seal there one time where it, it, you could just see its little snout like bobbing in and out of the waves. It was the cutest thing I've ever seen. Other than hiking and wildlife, the best thing to do while you're driving through Point Reyes is to get fresh oysters. And I know that sounds really gross. And I was very, very not sure about it when I first moved here. But I've actually grown to love raw oysters. You can like stop at an oyster farm or an oyster stand off the side of the road and get really inexpensive oysters. You can get them like pre-shocked with like shooters or grilled or barbecued or there's all kinds of different ways to do it and they're all delicious yeah or if you enjoy the manual labor you can pick up a bag for the cheap and shuck them yourself and we did that one time we got 60 oysters and we were going to do a oyster stravaganza i thought it was oyster palooza was it oyster stravaganza oh it was oyster Oyster stravaganza with my roommates and then we bought yeah so we bought 60 of them and we started shucking and it was just i think we got like 20 in yeah and we were just like there's way too many oysters not worth the effort 
but they are delicious. Continuing up from Point Reyes, um, next, my next favorite stop is Point Arena, which is a lighthouse, mostly because it's just a really beautiful picture. And continuing up from that, you'll eventually get to the Mendocino area. And Mendocino is another famous wine area in California on the coast. Oh, you have so many. We have just so many. Mendocino is one of my favorite places to take a little romantic weekend getaway. There's wineries. There's this charming little town. Really good food. A lot of really cute places to stay. You can go kayaking through sea caves. It's just a really great time. And of course, we have a post about it. We'll put it in the show notes or you can find it. Um, real quick, if you do go, make sure you have brunch at Circa 62. Oh, yeah. They so it's this like really cute dog-friendly place to eat, really good food. But my favorite thing is that they spread bird seed and like little snacks outside for critters. And so while you're eating, you can watch like little California quails like scribbling around in the dirt and like little bunnies and I don't know, it's really cute. Yeah, it looks like the beginning of like a Disney movie. It does. Um, moving up from Mendocino North, you'll hit Fort Bragg and Glass Beach. I don't know. Glass Beach is trash. Babe, you can't just say that. It's not very nice. No, I mean, the beach is literally made out of eroded trash. Oh, no, that's true. Yeah, it used to be a dump. And then nature, which is amazing, um, pounded, pounded like waves on it over and over again and turned the, everything in the dump into this like beautiful, colorful glass. Yeah. So instead of walking on bits of glass, you're walking on this like really shiny like sand, but it's... I mean, they are bits of glass. You are walking on bits of glass. Right. But it's not sharp like the sound of... soft bits of glass. Yeah. It's just colorful sand is what it looks like. It looks pretty cool. Not far north of Fort Bragg is Leggett, which is sadly where the one ends and for the last time turns into the 101. Oh, so the one turns into the 101. And then from when they were the one and then the 101 is over there, but now they're the one slash the 101. No, it's just the 101. Oh, it's just the 101. Yeah. It's not the one. It's just the 101. No, it's just, it's just the one, which is the 101, not the one. I'm so confused. (laughs) But if you keep driving on the 101, you will eventually get to the Avenue of the Giants, um, which is, I think, well worth the the detour because it's like a 30 minute stretch where you're just driving through these giant, majestic, old growth redwoods. And it is just the most beautiful drive Ever. Like, you can camp there too. It's just like super humbling to be there. It's yeah, amazing. humbling is definitely the right word for yeah. it. What's that one song that we always listen to by Bon Iver? Uh, Hallucine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the one where he's like. Um, and at once I knew I was not magnificent. No. Yes. Yeah. But then there's the part where he talks about like cornflakes or something. No, you just always think that he says shake and bake and stick with us. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. That's not what he says. <laughs> shake and bake and stick with us and jagged something something anyway it's a really good song <laughs> it's on our california road trip playlist which we should put in the show notes yeah we will okay uh okay so that's the entire route but um is there like a best time for them to go i think the best time to go is february and march because the winter rains turn everything bright green so like in september and october when you drive the hills are bright yellow and like gold because all the grass has dried out but in february and march they're bright green and it looks like ireland or something and you can also catch uh, wildflower season so that you'll have all these different colorful wildflowers popping up all over the place and it's absolutely beautiful and the water the waterfalls will be like heavier that's the right way to say that i don't know it's like a nice heavy flow oh my god um so our route was south to north um and i think that that's actually the proper way to do it some people ask like should we go north to south I always say south to north because I think that the north end has like the more pretty stuff to see. Yeah, there's not as many stops. Um, like you'll notice like we spent a long time on the, the section between L.A. and SF. And then the section north of that was we talked about less stops, but it's not any less beautiful. No, it's in fact, just it's actually. Yeah, it's just as pretty. And in fact, it's probably less people. I'm, mm, I, would, less. I would say. Yeah, because not a lot of people do the route north because there's there's kind of like no major destination. Right. Like when you drive between L.A. and SF, you can fly out of one of them if you're coming from out of town. But if you drive north from SF, you have to fly out of like Eureka, which is like a very small little town. And it only up- flies out of L.A., San Francisco and Denver. Yeah. Um, also, but, can we talk about how like Eureka is the weirdest like thing for a state to have as its motto? Like the Kentucky one is um, United We Stand, Divided We Fall. And I feel like that's like really inspiring. And then California is just Eureka. And I feel like that's super weird. Yeah, it means I found it because they found gold there. You're welcome. They it's found not a bunch a, of free land that they stole. It's actually. not as weird as New York's. New York is Excelsior. OK, yeah, no, you're right. That's that like the worse. worst one. That's worse. 
Um, so if you want to do the road trip, I've, I think that, you know, we mentioned Eureka. I think that the, the easiest ways to actually like logistically do it is to go south to north and then fly from Eureka to a connecting flight. Or you can actually take like a shortcut back down to LA by using the five, which it's is just really ugly, super not pretty, but it's like our like really, it's like our fast highway basically. So you can come back really quickly. I feel like that was a Tracy Chapman song. How dare you? Now I'm going to have that song stuck in my head. So you take the one to the 101 and then you're you going to take the five. You got a fast highway. Oh my God. I was making a different joke. Well, that sucks. Uh, now that we're like in quarantine for the next who knows how long, I've uh, been really trying to think of like what we can do when we when it opens up. And we're probably not going to travel outside of the state. So now I'm getting really excited about taking this road trip. Yeah, we can have like our own little car bubble and safely look at things from inside do you think they make n95 cars hmm maybe <laughs> maybe after this that'll be your like tesla <laughs> which is in the bay area anyway i am definitely missing taking a road trip i always say that jeremy and i like fell in love on road trips down highway one because that's just what california romance is made out of and i don't know i was always really worried when we took our first road trip together that like we wouldn't have anything to talk about but that's when i realized that we have way too much to talk about and we never stopped talking to each other it's been like what eight years now i don't know yeah we really shouldn't have taken that road trip because now we're like stupid in love yeah it's really gross that was dumb but i love taking i never get sick of it we do it all the time it's like a perfect weekend getaway thing that we do um and it's it's one of those once in a lifetime bucket list experiences if you do get the chance to do it whether you're coming from sf or la and you're just doing it for a weekend or if you're coming from further away i would say do it up to like take a two week long trip to drive the entire coast and get really familiar with it it is so beautiful yeah it would probably take a full two weeks if you're going to be like stopping at every place and taking a lot of pictures i think the minimum to see the whole thing is probably like 10 days yeah we are so spoiled to live here like we really i know i clown on you with your california thing a lot but at this point it's been a decade and i guess i am kind of a californian too so we really do have like the california privilege what's up brother oh, so oh my sick, god there so it went sick, so sick. i now regret saying everything i just said Hopefully this has inspired you to take your own California road trip. When again, it's safe. When it's safe. Again, we have um, links in the show notes for special guides on the stops that we talked about today. Uh, subscribe to our newsletter. Um, like us on the tweets and the, the gram. Stop. That's so embarrassing. And the book. Oh, my God. You know, Let's just. We're, we're done. We'll see you all next time. Stay safe. Wash tweet at hands. our Facebook. Stop it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>